1: things you don't really need to know, but probably should. I'm Jamie East, and this is the Sunday 7. On this week's Sunday 7, we look into breakthrough new treatments for Alzheimer's disease, find out why WhatsApp might be banned in the UK, we get good news for vegans, and His Majesty wants the swans counted, if you've got a moment, please. But first, on this day in 1998, an international team of scientists based in the University of Hawaii published results of their cloning study in Nature magazine. They'd created three generations of cloned mice using the Honolulu technique, giving the world 50 identical my sisters using a method more reliable than that used to create Dolly the sheep. Now you know. Seven. There's finally some good news in the battle against Alzheimer's disease. It's a condition which until now has been considered terminal because there have been no treatments which slow or stop the onset of the disease. But that may be changing as a global trial of a new drug called Denanimab has shown positive results in slowing cognitive decline. Hilary Evans, chief exec of Alzheimer's Research UK, told Sky News that this generation of drugs could be hugely significant.
0: But what this really signals is a new dawn for Alzheimer's. We don't have anything that we can prescribe to people with the disease at the moment, so this in itself is a huge breakthrough.
1: Dementia affects 850,000 people in the UK and more than 55 million worldwide, and these new antibody-based medicines target a protein that builds up in the brains of those affected. Kate Lee, the CEO of the Alzheimer's Society, was welcoming the news that there are now two potential treatments. But she's warning there's more work that needs to be done, including a blood test that could detect early signs of the disease.
2: It's just so incredibly important, but there is so much more to be done. At the moment, only 2% of people in the UK's dementia was diagnosed at the right time that these drugs would have made any difference. We need to get the diagnosis much, much earlier.
1: And I'm delighted uh, to have on the other end of the line uh, the Information Services Manager from Alzheimer's Research UK, Jess Tobin. Jess, thank you very much for coming on. How are you doing?
0: Thanks very much for having me. I'm doing really well, thank you.
1: Everyone has been getting really excited about this study and quite rightly it's generated a lot of headlines. What's Alzheimer's Research UK uh, stance on all of this? Are you as excited as the rest of us?
0: Yeah, of course we are. So up until very recently, the only treatments that were available if you have a diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease were um, treatments which manage the symptoms. So this is the first kind of generation of drugs which is designed to tackle uh, the actual disease progression itself. So this brings a real ray of hope to a lot of people living with the condition and their families. And um, So it actually targets one of the proteins involved in the development of Alzheimer's disease and removes that from the brain. And um, So over the, over the course of the treatment it will slow down the progression of symptoms.
1: Now, we, we cover a lot of kind of medical breakthroughs and technological advances on the Sunday 7. And more often than not, we, we kind of talk about them and then they kind of just disappear because I guess like testing needs to be done and, and trials. Whereabouts is uh, Denanimab in that kind of timeline of discovery at one end of the scale and then people being actually treated with it at the other?
0: These drugs have been investigated for for decades now, all the way through from that early laboratory research, right, right the way through to where we're at now with phase three clinical trials. So these are the kind of final stages of testing that we need to go through before we start looking at things like regulatory approval and whether it can fit within the NHS as a wide-scale treatment. So this is why it's such massive news, because we're kind of at those final hurdles before we look at whether this can be rolled out.
1: This is your holy grail, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. I think, well, the charity's existed for about 30 years now, and we're speaking to people daily about uh, what the lack of treatment is. And and unfortunately, you do have to deliver blow after blow of, unfortunately at the moment, it's a terminal illness if you get Diagnosed, there's nothing that you can do. Um, And in the last year, for the first time ever, we've we've been able to say that might be about to change. That means so much. It really is. the the biggest news that we've had as an organisation.
1: Do you think we'll see a cure, a complete cure for Alzheimer's at some point in the future?
0: For a lot of people, because it's a disease that um, is more likely to affect you as you get older, pushing back uh, the onset of of dementia by five or ten years would be life-changing for an awful lot of people. So... That's what we're working towards. This is the first generation of treatment, and like cancer and multiple sclerosis, we are we are a couple of decades behind. But more and more drugs will come through, and so eventually we'll have lots of different treatments available, which will, will hopefully, in our eyes, cure cure the condition.
1: And and to any of the listeners that want to find out more about uh, what you guys are up to, how can they find how can they get in touch with you?
0: Yeah, so there's lots and lots of information online available. So if you just head to our website, Alzheimer'sResearchUK.org. Um, there's lots going on there
1: Thank you so much, fantastic
0: That's no problem at all, thank you
1: hope you're sitting comfortably because it's time for our weekly tech roundup with expert Will Guyett But apparently this week's a bit of a scary one. Will, what's happening?
3: Yeah, this is a story that's been floating around for absolutely ages. But this week, you've had Apple joining companies like Meta and others to suggest that some new powers the government wants uh, around uh, encryption might mean that services like uh, uh, FaceTime, iMessage, WhatsApp, Signal might all disappear from the UK market if the UK government doesn't bend its will in this current uh, proposals.
1: Colour me terrified. Why?
3: Well, there's a, a thing that's been creeping through Parliament for years called the uh, Online Safety Bill. And one of the things wrapped up in that is a thing called the Investigatory Powers Act of 2016. It gives the Home Office the power to access encrypted content. In short, this means... All of the tech companies have to reveal how they've encrypted content and give the keys or a backdoor or a method to see what's on your device or in these encrypted messages to the UK government.
1: Completely defeating the object of encryption then, surely?
3: Yes, of course, because end-to-end encryption, only the sender and the recipient can see the content. Because the reality is, until 10 years ago, governments could easily snoop on what you were doing without telling you. This encryption now makes it almost impossible. But what the suggestions are, and this is nearly unbelievable, um, Apple have been told by the government they're going to need to tell the UK government about security updates and changes to their encryption with the suggestion that the UK Home Office will be able to approve or deny Apple the ability to update its own devices. So understandably, Apple have gone up yours. If this is truly going through, we are considering backing out of the UK. So what's the government's argument? The government goes back to the emotive argument every time. It's about stopping terrorism. It's about protecting children from paedophiles. And yes, this technology, in the same way as it enables you and I not having somebody snooping on our conversation, it does stop the law enforcement agencies from getting crucial bits of information that they were previously able to get but i don't think because there are a small number of really bad apples using any tech service anywhere in the world that should be a reason to roll back all of this security and protection that the rest of us have got
1: all right will finally who's going to blink first
3: uh, I actually think the UK government is going to blink first on this. Apple never, ever come out and start criticising governments for their policy. That's just not the way Apple is. And for them to do it this week, because they've joined Signal, who are they, WhatsApp and Meta, you've probably heard of uh, WhatsApp before. Um, but the growing voices and the fact that Apple are now behind this and they're suggesting that they could remove two of the main features from one of the world's most popular smartphones will probably make the UK government wake up to the fact that they need to readdress
1: this. Still to come on the Sunday 7, your cupboard might be trying to kill you and there's good news if you want to fly green. Five. Your kitchen cupboard could be a death trap. It sounds extreme, I know, but there's a silent killer that lurks in our fridges and cupboards that very few people are really aware of. It's not salmonella either, although that chicken's been in there for a while, madam. No, the real threat is ultra-processed foods. So, what are they? Well, an ultra-processed food is defined as anything which has five or more ingredients and includes preservatives, sweeteners, emulsifiers or stabilisers. Another giveaway is that they tend to have long shelf lives. They also have high levels of saturated fat, sugar, and salt, and they're hiding everywhere. Have a look in your weekly shop and you'll see them disguised as bread, cereals, burgers, yogurts, and even drinks like whiskey, gin, and rum. Dr. Chris Van Tuliken has literally written the book on this. It's called Ultra Processed People, and he explained to The One Show why these foods are just so dangerous. Because ultra-processed food is now 60% of what we eat in this country, we are building our bodies from foods that aren't really foods. So there's a very long formal scientific definition of ultra-processed food. But it basically boils down to anything that's wrapped in plastic that has an ingredient like a stabilizer or an emulsifier or an artificial sweetener that you don't have in your kitchen at home. And these are the foods we now know are associated with lots of negative health outcomes. So, type 2 diabetes, yeah. um, weight gain, obviously, but also early death from all causes. And food has now overtaken tobacco as the leading cause of early death. <laughs> seems like the world is literally on fire at the moment. The US and Southern Europe are sweltering under record-breaking heat waves. there's a marine heatwave going on, and we haven't even hit August yet. It's clear that climate change is accelerating and we're not moving fast enough to curb carbon emissions that act as a hot water bottle for a world that's already plenty warm enough. Airline travel is responsible for about 3% of carbon emissions, but it's proven to be one of the most difficult sectors to tackle, and that's not just Kylie Jenner popping to the shops in a private jet, but millions of people taking long and short-haul trips. Now, eco-entrepreneur and Just Stop Oil supporter Dale Vince is ready to roll out eco-jets. They're going to be hydrogen, electric-powered planes, but at launch, the jets will still be conventionally fueled. Nonetheless, he says it's a big step. It's totally a game changer. I mean, it's
3: the beginning of a revolution in aviation. Our first planes will be 19-seaters with a
1: 300-mile range, so we'll use them on regional routes around the UK. Our second planes, a year and a half later, will have 70 seats and a range of 500 miles, and we'll be able to go to Europe. It's also the last piece of the puzzle that we can't solve. We have the technology for everything else. Electric cars are taking over the road, buses are here, trucks are coming out of R&D, battery trains are here as well, and it's only flying that we haven't yet solved. So it's important that we do that so that we can get
3: to proper net zero.
1: Still to come on the Sunday 7, good news for vegans, and King Charles wants an update on his swans right after this. It's not easy being vegan, apart from being the butt of jokes. A recent study by the Food Standards Authority in the UK suggested that one-third of products labelled vegan actually contained either milk or egg. That's partly because there's no legal definition of what is vegan, which means that food companies can be slightly creative in their labelling. While only about one and a half percent of people are vegan, one in six people do have food allergies, and many believe that vegan food is safer for them to eat. So it's about time vegans got some good news, and a new study from research scientists at Cambridge University has uncovered a source of the essential vitamin B12 that's properly vegan-friendly. Professor Alison Smith, head of the Plant Metabolism Group, is on the line to fill us in. Hi Alison, why is vitamin B12 so important, particularly for vegans?
2: Well, vitamin B12 is an essential micronutrient. So actually all humans need it, whatever their diet. It's important for a uh, normal functioning of metabolism. And if we don't have enough of it, then there are consequences for how we feel and how we think actually as well. So what first
1: prompted you to look at algae for a solution? It doesn't seem like the go-to place to look. <laughs>
2: Well, I I work on algae. (laughs) So to me, you know, it's the obvious place to look. I, I work on metabolism itself and I work on it in plants and algae. And one of the things I'm particularly interested in is vitamins. And vitamin B12 is one of those enigmatic vitamins because it's not made by plants. So you can't get it from fruits and vegetables. And so we knew that some forms of algae, such as seaweed, contained reasonable levels of vitamin B12 so we started to look in the algae that we work on and discovered that they do contain B12 but only when they're grown in a particular way so they don't they don't make B12 it's only made by bacteria but if if we take a sample of algae from the natural environment where there's lots of bacteria like a river or a pond or something like that, then there's B12 in the algae.
1: Why is it better than something like a bog standard vitamin tablet?
2: I'm not claiming that it's better. It's just that if you want to have it in your diet, as opposed to taking, you know, tablets or chemical supplements, then algae are a good source of the B12 in the diet. In addition, it's a really complicated uptake process which is why it can go wrong and there's some evidence that having it in in food as opposed to just the chemical on its own it might be more easy for you to take it up. Do you expect this is something that's going to be
1: rolled out widely?
2: You can already buy algal supplements, which you can either add to your own food or, you, or you'll find it in ingredients in things like smoothies and sometimes in soups. You know, So it is available, but it's not particularly mainstream, shall we say. One of the things that we found out, which is what we're keen to, for people to be aware of, is that some of these algal preparations contain what's known as bioavailable B12. That is B12 that is easy to take up in the ileum, but then there are other things which are described as algae, although they're not strictly algae, and they don't tend to contain the correct form of B12. So we're trying to, you know, make people more aware of the differences. And so the ones that do contain B12 are green algae, whereas the ones that are described as blue-green algae, they're actually organisms that make B12, and they they make the wrong form of it or the form that is much less bioavailable so it's, it's one of those sort of awareness things as much as it's not a novel product that we've discovered if you like algae have been doing this for a long time <laughs>
1: Pandemics and anti-vax hysteria should be a thing of the past at this stage, you'd think. But London is at serious risk of a measles outbreak, partly because of vaccination hysteria that's seen levels of immunisation against childhood diseases like measles, mumps and rubella drop to worrying lows. That means there's a serious risk of a major measles outbreak, with some modelling suggesting there could be tens of thousands of cases. Dr Leonora Whale is a public health consultant with the UK's Health and Safety Authority, and she says measles is a pretty serious disease that could put the NHS at risk.
2: Essentially what we're seeing is that measles rates are increasing across the UK, most of those cases are in London, and that's on the background of the lowest rates of MMR uptake that we've seen in over a decade. So we know that measles is est- extremely serious infection, it can lead to serious complications and even death and that's why we're urging people to go forth, get their vaccine if they've missed one or two doses. There are pockets of communities with very low uptake, and all of that means that we've got people within the community that are vulnerable and at risk, and that's why we need them to have the vaccine to protect them and to make sure that nobody is left behind.
1: One of the quirks of the British royal family, apart from mistresses and misbehaviour of course, is the fact that wild swans in the United Kingdom belong to the King. And he does take that pretty seriously. Welcome to the world of swan-upping, a tradition that dates back to the 12th century. Every year, the swan uppers and the king's swan markers set off down the Thames to carry out what was originally a ceremonial task, but has now become an exercise in conservation of the UK's wild birds. The swans are counted, checked for health and released back into the river. According to the official swan marker, David Barber, it's been a tough year for the royal flock.
3: We're a little bit less on signets this year than last year, but we expected that because of the uh, bird flu scenario that we've had in the winter and in the, um, in the springtime. And we did lose quite a few nests where we had flood water. And of course the king is very keen on conservation, wildlife, and of course we have a lot of school children this week, masses of them coming down to the river and they get very excited when we show them young cygnets in very close quarters.
1: This has been the Sunday 7. Wherever you're listening, do us a favour and hit the follow button. We'll be back tomorrow at 7am with the regular Smart 7. Have a great rest of your weekend. Written, produced and published by Daft Doris.